Amen. We are so excited about Kids Week. Um, a couple of us excited in the back. They're like, <laughs> we're so excited about Kids Week because it is a yearly opportunity to remind us that we live out our mission in the city. Because Two Cities Church has not only a, a church vision, but a city vision. That we give our lives so that every man, woman, and child in our city would have repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. And what a unique opportunity to go and to do it as a family. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but often in church, we serve in different contexts. Our kids are out there learning and growing. We're here learning and growing. But what a great opportunity at Kids Week to join together and to serve the city together in Jesus' name. We had uh, all 280 spots already filled, praise the Lord. We had to reach out to our, our partners like, is there any more opportunities? Can you give us more? We want to serve. So the challenge is, would you join us at Kids Week? Make it a priority, register today and be there. We've heard from many of you and that this song's prayer devotional has been a great encouragement that it's been a great opportunity to begin living lives of prayer through the Psalms as we're going through the sermon series, to building in habits of prayer as we go along. So for those of us who've been following through in the devotion, we just want to encourage you, keep going. Halfway through, you can make it. You can make it to the end, amen? For those of you sitting here and like, I've never seen that thing before. When did they give those out? It's okay. There's still time to jump on. You can access this. It's a downloadable version on our homepage. You can just click on and you can upload there and type in or answer in however. It's easy. It's great to join together through this sermon series, begin praying through the Psalms. Because this series, as I mentioned, we're continuing on as a series on prayer in the Psalms. And today we're looking at Psalm chapter 67. Psalm chapter 67. So as you're turning there, I just want to say welcome. Those who are joining here out in the lobby, we see you out in the lobby. Those who join us online, we're so glad to have each and every one of you as we continue walking through the Psalms together and here today in Psalm 67. Pastor Kyle began our series in Psalm 1, looking at what it meant to, to live scripture-fed prayer lives. Just like the blessed man of Psalm 1, we want our lives and yes, even our prayer lives to be deeply rooted in the word and in Christ. Pastor Caleb last week talked about how we often respond to God's word. Whenever we read and pray through his word, it calls a response out in us. And so often that response is both confession and repentance. David's beautiful psalm as he's confessing his sin, as he's turning back to the Lord, we respond to God's word through confession and repentance. And today we're going to look at the next R of prayer, readiness. That as we respond to God's word, he makes us ready ready to go. So the main big point today, one big point, main idea, if you get nothing else, right? That our God blesses us to transform the world. Our God blesses us to transform the world, to make us ready to go to the end of the nations for his glory. So I'm going to read through um, Psalm 67 here just a minute, and I invite you to type to or turn to as we get going today. So I'm thinking about the Lord's blessing. I'll tell you how my children feel blessed, namely candy. That's their love language. If you want to love my kids, give them some candy. But actually don't, because what always happens after every holiday, we're left with some big old bucket of candy we're trying to do with. It's like, well, maybe we should save it so we can keep bribing our kids to be obedient, right? And so we try to hide it somewhere in the house, but just the mere existence of candy in our house, our kids go crazy. 
One night, I put it all the way up on top of the refrigerator. And it's, I mean, it's tall. Like, I'm reaching. Put it in the back. And I went upstairs. And sometime in the night, they led some sort of secret reconnaissance ninja-like mission. Downstairs, got the candy from the refrigerator. So when I came down in the morning, just chocolate all over their faces, wrappers all over the floor. Did you guys get in the candy? He's like, no. Yeah, yeah, sure. I looked back at the refrigerator, and they had built a chair tower. Dining room chair, kitchen stool, little baby bumper seat right up there at the top. They climbed all the way up, got in the candy. <laughs> candy made me go crazy, too, as a kid, but a little different. I didn't pig out and, you know, gorge myself. If anything, I loved candy so much, it made me into like a little hoarder, like TLC style TV show, a hoarder. I'd like, I didn't want to share it with anyone. It was so precious to me. And I knew that there was a sister across the hall that was going to get my candy. And even my friends that would come over to my house, I'm like, they're, they're looking at it, right? And so I would take it and I would hide that candy where no one else could find it. The problem is I couldn't find it either. A couple of times growing up, I'd be cleaning my room, be digging in the back of my closet, whatever else, and I would trip over the bucket of candy from Halloween or whatever else. I'm like, how long has that been here? It had been months. Sometimes I think there's even a year in between when I found it next. And by that point, all the candy goodness had spoiled. It's like the Swedish fish turned into like tire rubber. You know, the chocolate like crumbles whenever you try to eat it. The Skittles are rock hard. Like, man, it was because of my selfishness and my short-sightedness right? That stuff spoiled. Nobody got to enjoy it. Not me or anybody else. In some ways, I feel we can do that with the blessing of the Lord. That the Lord will give us his great, generous blessing. And we can be so wrapped up in it that we turn inward, right? We try to hoard it. We try to keep it. We try to hide it. But nobody gets to enjoy it. Not ourselves fully and certainly not to the fullest extent as we are called to go to the nations for his glory. Because God blesses us, he does. But he blesses us to transform the world. Let's read through Psalm chapter 67 um, today, and then we'll walk through these passages with one another. It's in verse 1 of Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. Selah that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. Many people have pointed out, and it's true, that this is such a beautiful missionary psalm that we see here in a nice, just compact God's heart, not only for us, but for the nations. It's to make us ready. And so as we pray, we want to have readiness prayers. God, how are you sending me out? Because again, he sends his great blessing we're about to see, but he sends it for a purpose, for us to go. But I don't want to glaze through that first point, because it's important that God delights to bless us. God delights to bless us. He says in verse 1, may God be gracious to us, God's grace. Let me ask you just a simple question. It's not an easy question, but it's fairly simple. What is grace? What is grace? 
For many of us, we've been in church for so long that we've heard it talked about and we talked about ourselves. We know it's something, but we're not really sure exactly how to put, put into words. For others of us, we, this is, maybe we're new to Christianity, new to church. We're like, grace, is that what you say before dinner? Or maybe that's a relative who died 30 years ago. What is grace? We learn in scripture that grace is something more to be experienced than defined. Grace is uniquely personal. Namely, it's personal from our God and it's personal to us. Because grace begins when we view ourselves, understand ourselves according to his word. Remember Pastor Caleb talking about Psalm 51? How David saw himself rightly in view of God's word. He says this in verse 3 of Psalm 51, For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Transgression, that's like if there's a clear line in the sand. God's like, hey, here's the commandment. Don't do this. Don't cross the line. And we cross. We transgress. Sin. Sin's talking about his righteous, holy standard that we are called to. Be holy as I am holy. We fall short. The psalmist also talks about iniquity. It's kind of like there's something deep in us that's off, that's bent. So what we love, what we want, what we long for, it's not according to God's design. When we understand ourselves rightly, in view of his word, that we say with David, Psalm 51, verse 4, you are proved right when you speak. It's like, God, I get it. You're right. I have fallen short. I have stepped across that line. I am. Something's just off. And that he is justified when he judges. I agree. Lord, when you judge sin, I know that's not just stuff and people out there. I know that's my sin. I know that's me. Grace begins when we understand ourselves in light of his word. But grace is experienced when we turn and see our God's heart played out for us in Jesus. When we look to the cross of Christ and see how God himself has taken on the weight of our sin. He has borne the burden in his body on the tree, 1 Peter says. Not only that, but he has paid the price for transgression. And that he in his self has bent back our hearts so that we can live in line with God by the Spirit. When we see Jesus Christ at the cross, we begin to experience God's grace. As it's written in the Jesus story of the Bible, I love this. Reading through, with it through my kids, I'm like, that is so good. Did y'all ever have that? Trying to teach your kids something? You're like, man, I'm learning stuff here. She writes in Jesus' story of the Bible about this, that no matter what, in spite of everything, God loves his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. No matter what, no matter your sin, your transgression, your iniquity, God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love in Jesus Christ. That's grace. And in Jesus Christ, God is gracious to us. David also prays for a blessing, doesn't he? Lord, may he be gracious to us and bless us. Amen with that. Like, I'm going to get some of that blessing. Like, that's why I came here this morning. Woo! We normally think about blessing as something that's for us, what we want, how we want it, when we want it, for ourselves, right? Like that candy, like, yes, blessing, more. You can think if you, you pray for a blessing in that way, if you pray for something new, like, Lord, give me a, I don't know, new car, new job, new relationship, new something. Or maybe you pray for more. It's like, yes, Lord, give me more money. It's like, sorry, but yeah, I'd like it. Give me some more money. Give me some more, I don't know, happiness. Give me, or maybe give me less. 
It's like, yeah, give me less pain, less hardship, less whatever. Give me new, give me more, give me less. We do that. We show that we think of blessing as something that God floats down. Remember the movie, The Hunger Games? Or like in the middle of that like pit or whatever, the, whatever they call that thing. And then if they had a sponsor, they could like, you see this parachute floating down like beep, beep, beep. And like, oh, thank you. He's giving me something to help me survive. We feel like we're in the Hunger Games out here. We're like fighting around. We're like, Lord, give me something. Like send me down joy and that shiny parachute thing. Beep, 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 beep. God's blessing isn't a thing. Scripture tells us clearly it's connected to who he is. It's himself. The favor and fellowship of God in Christ. Philip Melanchthon, he was a, a reformer way back in the day. He talked about it like this. To know Christ is to know his blessing. Not something we pray for him. That's what we talk about when we say worship-based prayer. Prayer that seeks the face of God before his hand. Prayer that understands the blessing of God is favor and fellowship with him, not some thing he can give us. Or how's the psalmist put it? May the Lord be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Isn't that beautiful? Not only communicating that God's glory is like some, some radiant brilliance, but also it's just the truth that the Lord turns to us with love, with life-giving love. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a few babies in the church, don't we? Been over that next building? We're overflowing with babies. Babies everywhere. And that's a great thing. We love babies. And you know what I especially love about babies? Just this point. We had some over to our house last Friday. Not, not just the baby, but you know. <laughs> Their families brought them with them. And I love, I love with a little child, with a little baby, that you can look down at them. And you can communicate through your face and through your smile such love, such pride, and you can see them respond to you with joy. Like you can look at them and just beam and smile, and they respond to you. Their eyes light up, their face gets big, and they just start like wiggling around. The babies can respond as you communicate love through your face. That's our God to us as our Father. That he looks on us with that kind of life-giving love and we respond in joy. You may be here like, well, how's that happen? Right? I need to get some of that joy. The Bible doesn't leave us wondering. He tells us how God smiles upon us. One of my favorite passages from 2 Corinthians 4. The Apostle Paul talks about it this way. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That's in Genesis, right? At the very beginning as he created heavens and the earth. So does he recreate us. Listen to this. God who said, light, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Gosh, that is so good. That right there, in summary, is the fulfillment of Scripture. Do you remember the Old Testament? We saw his power. We saw his might. We saw his saving works displayed, but we didn't see his image. We didn't see his form. We never saw his face. Remember him talking to Moses on Mount Sinai? The Lord, Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, hey, I appreciate that request, but no man may see my face and live. But what do we have in Jesus Christ? In the Son of God, we have our God's heart laid bare and lived out among us. 
we have in his son the radiant brilliance of his glory shining through Jesus' face. That is how he turns his graciousness to us. That is how he gives us his unique blessing. When he shines on us in Christ and it changes everything. We start to see everything differently. I love that at the end of the psalm in verses 6 and 7, chapter 67. The psalmist said, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. When we know God to be ours, when we know him to be our God, then there are no more coincidences in the world. There are no more. That's just the way things work. Even when the earth yields its increase, that's like when crops, when grass grows, right? Even when the earth yields its increase, we see it as father filtered. We know that even the smallest, most mundane, most routine things are our God's loving graciousness and blessing to us. Some of you need to hear it this morning. God delights to bless you. God delights to bless you. What I mean by that is that's been a hard season, hasn't it? Many of us have struggled in ways we didn't even think we could. We felt the unique strain and tension in our family or our marriages because of working from home or a change in employment. Maybe we've dealt with illness ourselves or those close to us, at least with fear and anxiety and worry and just burden. Or maybe we've suffered through loss, loss of someone we loved or loss of opportunity, maybe even the loss of hope. That if we're honest, we'd say, I don't know if God has anything good left for me. Sure, God's good. I know, I know, I get it. God's good, and, and he does good things for somebody somewhere. But I don't know if God has anything good for me. Our God delights to bless you. Such a beautiful and well-placed pause in the psalm, isn't it? That's what that word Selah means. It's kind of written there if you're singing it or if you're reading it, it's there to pause. And what a beautiful placement it is. Would you stop and think and reflect and meditate this morning that our God desires, he delights to be gracious to you, to be a blessing to you, to make his face shine upon you in Jesus Christ. May we live our lives according to the blessing of God. We're called to pause there, but we're not called to come to a full stop. That's not the end of the verse. That's not the end of the chapter. That's not a stopping point for us. It moves on. It keeps going. But I think so often in our lives, we, we stop right there. They're like, yeah, I know that God loves me, right? That's the good news. I get it. God loves me. Yes, that's true. He does. God loves you. We just said it. We just spent 15 minutes on it, whatever it else. But the Lord loves you for a reason, for a purpose, not just for your convenience or for your comfort, but for Christ and his commission. Our God delights to bless us but he blesses us to transform the world. He blesses us to transform the world. It's a good time to remind that verse 1, what we just read, what we just talked through, it is a well-known prayer, a well-known blessing in the Old Testament. It's from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. You can write that down, check it out later. The Lord gave those words to his priests, first with Aaron and then those that come, to remind his people of his heart for them. 
And so this is common, run-of-the-mill, praise the Lord type stuff. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Yes! Amen! God does love me and us more than anyone else. Woo! Shut the Bible. Go on out to lunch. We don't stop there. Why does he bless us? Why does he love us? Verse 2. So that your way may be known among the earth, your saving power among all nations. Wait, what? God cares about more than just me? Yes. His heart extends to the ends of the earth. And this is not just a New Testament idea. This is not just a great commission concept. This is a heart of God type of thing. Think back through with me. He calls Adam and Eve in the beginning to do what? To be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He made a promise to Abraham, didn't he? Why? So that in you, all the families of the earth would be blessed. He rescued his people out of Egypt, led them to the promised land, gave them his law. Why? So that they would be a light to the Gentiles and give hope to the nations. And Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church, transforms us and unites us together as a people, the body of Christ. Why? So that we would be as a city on a hill or a lamp on a stand so that others would see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. The Lord blesses us, but he does so to transform the world. He blesses us so that everyone can see, verse 2, that his way would be known among the earth. As everyone else is wandering around in whatever path suits them, as they're being blown by every wind of desire, what they feel or hear or think or want, the church sticks to the way of God. So the world can look on us and say, that's what it looks like to live according to the word of the Lord. Not only that, but his saving power, verse 2, would be made known among all nations. As everyone is just wallowing in hurts and hangups and sinful habits, the church lives out the new life in Christ, transformed to be like him by the Spirit, so that our neighbors and coworkers, friends and family, whomever can see us and say, that's what saving life-giving power looks like. We experience God's grace. We receive his blessing. We are transformed by him. Why? Verses 1 and 2. So he would be known among the earth. Verses 3 and 4. So he would be praised among the peoples. Verses 4 and 5. He would be enjoyed among the nations. And verse 7. He would be feared to the ends of the earth. God blesses us to transform the world. This is not just for our house, our neighborhood, our street, our city, our nation. This is a big, global, daring, God-sized prayer. It's so important, he repeats it twice. You see that verse 3 and verse 5, same thing? What does he repeat? Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Not only the people, but it's very specific, the peoples. So people today call um, ethnic groups. That our world has approximately 16,000 groups of people that share similar cultural identities, share similar language, similar values. And these 16,000 groups of peoples, they make up the approximately 8 billion individuals on our planet. That is huge. That is a big old world. Because we serve a big God. And our God is too glorious to only be worshipped by one language, by one group, by one skin color. He has a big, daring, global heart that the nations would be glad 
and sing for joy. That they would know, verse 4, that he is the judge. That he is the one to whom they are accountable. And that he is right and fair. He judges them with equity. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Not only that, at the end of verse 4, they need to know that he is the guide. And he guides the nations upon the earth. That he is the one that's directing their steps, turning the tide of human history. Why? Because he desires for all to come to life in Jesus Christ. I want you to hear this is very out of step with what we hear and what we may even think and believe today. We hear it so many times. I think we, we start to even believe it ourselves. I mean that Christians. We start to believe it as Christians that, that really if we're sincere enough or if we try enough, then that road can lead to God. It's like, yeah, but just, just be true to yourself, follow your heart, and I'm sure it'll end up in a good place. But listen how clear the scripture is. This is God's heart, God's plan, and our commission that the nations would know, have a saving, conscious knowledge of Jesus Christ, his son. Everyone, we believe that everyone needs to come to know our Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. Everyone, yes, I mean even the well-intentioned Muslims of South Asia. I mean even the environmentally conscious agnostic in Scandinavia. Even the high-cultured atheist on one coast or the other. And yes, even the religiously lost to sit in our church's pews in this city every Sunday. Everyone is called to a saving, conscious, trust, faith, knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because it is in him alone Beginning of verse, verse 4, this is so beautiful. In him alone they find life and joy. What does David pray? Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. It's like the welling up and just overflow of praise. You want to know what this looks like? I'm going to tell you what it looks like. Keep your eyes open for after the sermon. When we, we play our Baptism Sunday promo video. And when you see new believers in Christ being raised from the water of baptism, proclaiming their new faith and their new life in Christ, you will see what it looks like for someone to well up in joy and praise of Jesus Christ, to beam with the shining, life-giving love as shown to them in the face of our God and Jesus Christ, their Lord. You'll see it, that they are glad and they sing for joy. Can you imagine if someone you've been praying for maybe a friend or family member or coworker, can you be imagined if they overflowed in gladness and joy and praise of Jesus Christ? And can you imagine when all the earth will be transformed in joy and praise of Jesus Christ, our Savior? Because he alone is the full and final unfolding of David's prayer in this psalm. Let's read back through it, shall we? Verse 2, how will God's way be known on the earth? Because Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. How will his saving power be seen among all nations? By the one who in himself is the wisdom and power of God, 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 4, how will God judge the peoples with equity? By entrusting all judgment to his son, John 5. How will he guide the nations upon the earth? By the rod, the staff, and the voice of our Lord and Savior, who is himself the good shepherd. John 10. 
He alone is worthy to unfold God's heart and purpose and plan for all things. That's the truth that's communicated at the end. You know, the book of Revelation that you're kind of afraid to open? I'm keeping that can of worms shut. In chapter 5, it symbolically tells us this very same truth. Chapter 5 in Revelation, we're introduced to a scroll. John sees it, right? The Revelator. That's a song, I think. But anyway, John sees the scroll. It's written on both sides, front and back. And he knows that that scroll symbolizes, it represents God's heart, his plan, his purpose for all things. But there is a big problem in Revelation 5. You know what it was? In verse 4, John begins to weep loudly because no one is found worthy to open the scroll or even look into it. God's plan, his purpose, his heart will remain shut forever if it's up to us. But verse 5, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and break its seven seals. And look what happens when Jesus Christ our Lord opens that scroll. He fulfills David's prayer of Psalm 67 and the nations are glad and sing for joy. The words will be up on the screen. Read it with me. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. God will transform the world. There will be peoples from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who are transformed to be glad and sing for joy in praise of Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's a little bit of clapping there. But God, he's, he's chosen to do it through us. Can you imagine? After all our Lord has done and all he continues to do in his spirit, that he invites us with him. That he invites us to give our life to a global God for a global purpose. I fear that our hearts and our souls have shrunk too small to be able to see the great glory of God in this passage. This past weekend, I went to the um, North Carolina State Zoo. I'm not a huge fan of animals. Um, my kids are, and I really don't like the reptile house, but my kids do. So we walked inside the reptile house with the bats and whatever else, and it is so dark in there. You know, you're like looking, you're like, is that a bat? I mean, I can't see anything. And then what happens when you open those doors back out into the real world? You're just hit by the blinding, brilliant glory of the sun. You're like, oh, you can't take it. The Bible teaches us that our heart fits to what we love and we worship. And so if we love and worship anything that's not God himself, our hearts are shrinking. 
are shrinking to the size of our social media feed or that next Netflix series or our, our online wish list. Our hearts are shrinking to the size of our kids' accomplishments or our company's payroll or whatever. I pray this song would be what opens the door so that our hearts can grow, can enlarge, can widen to the size of our God's heart for the nations. May we be captivated by the brilliant glory of his saving power in Jesus Christ. And may we be sent in his will and his plan to transform the world. Some of you here, you want this. You're like, yes, yes. Like, show me where, show me how. And you need to be reminded before you go forward, you can't transform the world unless your heart has been transformed in joy and praise of Christ. I don't care if you've been in church your whole life. I don't care if this is your first Sunday. This is step one for anyone and everyone to trust in Jesus. That means to look to him, to lean on him, to fall into him, that he alone is your life, your joy, your salvation. Would you look to Christ this morning and be transformed by him and be sent out on mission? For other of us, maybe we've been in church and, and we've sat through enough sermons where people have challenged us to go and whatever else, and we're like, all right, here we go again. Let me say, the road is easy. It's not, not difficult. But when we follow Christ, his burden is easy, his yoke is light. When he welcomes us, who's close to you but far from God? Who is close to you and far from God? We talked before and, and worked through our community groups, our, our bless and frank list, Frank, F-R-A-N-C. Our friends, our relatives, our acquaintances, our neighbors, our coworkers. The challenge to our community groups is challenge to you. Would you make a list of seven people, of your friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, coworkers? Make a list of seven people and keep it on your phone, keep it by your Bible, and be praying for them that their hearts would be transformed in joy and praise of Christ. And maybe, just maybe, <laughs> the Lord will use you as the answer to your own prayers. But I don't want to stop there. I want us to continue on into a big, bold, daring, global, God-sized prayer. What would it look like for your family to prioritize praying for the nations, praying for the peoples, people who are far from us, who are different than us, don't look like us, don't talk the same language, whatever else. Would you begin setting aside a time at the dinner table before your kids go to get bed, before you go to bed, to pray for the peoples, the ends of the earth for whom our God has poured out his heart in Christ. Maybe you can start by praying for our partners in India and South Asia. Maybe that can be your first step. For others, I want to challenge what it would mean to go. The world is opening back up from COVID. And one of the benefits and blessing of that is we can begin sending trips, short-term mission trips out to our national and our global partners. What would it look like for your family or for you as an individual to commit this next calendar year as trips are being sent out for you to go? Maybe right now you need to plan to save vacation days. Put more change in your piggy bank. Whatever it is. What would it look like for you to go to the ends of the earth? Maybe some of us need to, need to be challenged to invest. Not just short-term trips, but to invest a couple of years. Our Sending Church, the Summit Church, challenges there 
um, college graduates, as you are looking, either going into college or looking to the end of your program, what would it look like for you to invest two years after graduation, giving your life to proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ far from home? There's another pastor who challenges others. Don't waste your retirement, right? Because we're retiring early than ever with more money than ever and, and more time ahead of us than ever. Maybe you need to invest the first couple years of your retirement to live on purpose, on mission to the ends of the earth. And maybe, just maybe, we need to be praying right now that we will send out families or individuals from our church to cities to plant their lives overseas. Can you imagine? We feel like it's so far ahead of us. We feel like that's like the highest bar to reach. But listen to me, that is our God's heart. So I don't want to gloss over the fact that he could be calling you this morning. He could be stirring in you this morning, awakening his heart for the nations in you and your family. And it would be no greater joy than for our church to send out people to plant their lives and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our God has been gracious to us. He has blessed us. He has made his face shine upon us in Jesus Christ. How could we not go across the street and talk to our neighbors or across the globe and to share with those who have never heard? Let's pray together. Our Father, may we be captivated today by the radiance, by the glory, by the brilliance of your heart in Jesus Christ. May our sight not be, be so small, so limited, so selfish that when we think of ourselves, but may, may we open our eyes and look to the ends of the earth where your gospel is going forth and may we hear your call to go. How are you sending us, Father? We lay it open this morning and say, tell us where to go and we'll go. Show us who you've called us to and we will share. Enlarge our hearts that we may run in the way of your commands, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.